Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you enjoy Real GM Radio, then check out Eyes on Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen. Every Wednesday on Podcast One Sportsnet, the Emmy-nominated sportscaster and her equally impressive husband examine the latest stories in sports from the eyes of both professionals and parents. Check out Eyes on Sports at Podcast One Sportsnet and Apple Podcasts. And also remember to rate and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I thought about a series of different angles to take this week with so much going on, and what I decided to do was focus originally on the Western Conference Finals, which I think are so fascinating, and talk to somebody who is familiar with both of these teams from a different perspective. David Locke, phenomenal podcaster, host of Locked on NBA, and creator of the Locked On Podcast Network, also is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And the Jazz are very connected with both of these teams. They just lost to Houston in the second round of the playoffs and have previously played the Warriors. And, you know, David's familiar with Warriors over the years. So I wanted to talk with him about where he sees this series going. Lots of different angles, lots of different directions. And that's pretty much the first half of the podcast. Second half is on the Utah Jazz, their remarkable season, and then some other NBA storylines that come out from that. This episode is brought to you by Hymns. You can go to forhymns.com slash real and get their trial offer for $5, which is an incredible deal while supplies last. BetDSI, you can go to betdsi.com and then use the real GM promo code for up to $2,500 on your first deposit, which is amazing. And our friends at TrueCar, great place to buy new and used cars. This episode runs a little bit more than an hour. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Congrats on a great year on your on coverage with Nate, with your book, everything. Way to go. Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to talk with you. We'll, we'll of course, talk about the Jazz as well, but to, to talk with you a little bit about the Western Conference Finals, because you are very familiar with both of these teams, including the Rockets, very up close and personal over the last couple weeks. And the best place to start is just your takeaways from that series in terms of the Rockets moving forward this season in the Western Conference Finals and theoretically the NBA Finals. So the most impressive thing to me about the Rockets was how good they are in half-court defense. According to Inpredictable, they're the number two, I think, half tied for Philadelphia for the number two half-court defense in the NBA um, I saw that do it uh, obviously was switching. They switch at a rate much higher than anyone else in the NBA. But then what they do in turn is they force teams into isolation at a really high rate. Almost 30% of possessions against them, I believe, turn into isolation. And the next closest in the league is the Warriors. And that's only at about 12 or 13 or 14%. So, you know, my, they're doing some things defensively in the half court that's far better than anyone, most people realize, not anyone. Um, you know, when you hear people talk about the Rockets, we're talking about Harden and we're talking about Chris Paul, but it's the fact that Clint Capella can guard anyone 24 feet away from the basket that jumps out to me and how good they are in the half court makes them a much more viable team to compete with the Warriors than I think uh, other teams in the Western Conference have been in the years past. Yeah, viability is a, a good way of putting it because with the Warriors, you need to do both parts of it. There's, You could argue this with both the Warriors and the Rockets, but they're so good offensively that you need to take them out of at least some of what they're trying to do, and then you also need to score at a really high rate. And the Rockets are well-conceived on that basis, and they also have 
a series of forwards, and Mbappe Mute is making his way back from that dislocated shoulder, but they have a series of forwards that can just mix it up, that are physically strong, and I'm not saying any of them are going to be you know spectacular or anything like that on Kevin Durant, but I think they have a lot of players that they can try, and that is in stark relief to what happened for the Warriors in the second round, which was they faced the New Orleans Pelicans, who have a lot of defenders who try, but are not even close to seven feet tall, and then Durant could basically just shoot over them. Yeah, I don't think anybody can guard Durant, right? I mean, to some extent, there's no one can guard Durant. Like, Durant, I always think Durant's biggest weakness is the fact that he can get off any shot he always wants. I've, I've said this a lot. Like, it's he, he, can, he can get shots off too easily, <clears throat> I think, for his own well-being, because he ends up taking less efficient shots than he needs to. Um, and he still hits him at a pretty high rate, because he's so darn good. You know, they have a lot of bodies they can throw at him. Nobody can guard Durant. I don't think that, you know, if somebody could guard Durant, it obviously would skew the series, but I don't think everybody's anybody's been able to guard Durant. Yeah, that's certainly fair. And one of the guys you brought up who I think has been absolutely fabulous so far in the playoffs is Clint Capella. Capella, he's very good defensively, and I think people lose track of not only as the rim protector, he blocked a ton of shots in the, in the Jazz series and played really well against the Wolves as well, but also the fact that he fits in their switching system is very unusual for a guy who not only plays center, but is actually center-sized. So I keep hearing people say, well, Draymond Green are, is going to cause Capella a problem, and I think I instinctually my first reaction was, yeah, that's probably true, but now I'm thinking about it, and I can't figure out why. So one of the things that was really eye-opening in that series is how little Clint Capella ever guarded Rudy Gobert, right? They come up the floor, there's a pick, there's some sort of movement immediately, and immediately they have now changed everyone who's guarding everyone. And they're perfectly fine with it. And because their guys are, as you talked about, their forwards are so interchangeable. P.J. Tucker can kind of handle anyone, and Bob Mute can handle kind of anyone, and Ariza can handle anyone, and... You know, Chris Ball is a little undersized, but nobody's going to the post to take advantage of a minion anymore. So, you know, I got the idea that Draymond Green can play on the outside as a center, but he's not going to be able to drive on Capella. And frankly, Capella is not going to be guarding him very often. Capella is going to be guarding whoever Draymond ran off of the way they switch. So I'm not sure that I think I've heard that that mantra that Draymond's going to be a problem for Capella in a way that Rudy wasn't. Capella was a problem for the Jazz, but not because he was guarding Rudy, because he did a hell of a job on Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell, and the Jazz didn't have great isolation players to beat you. And also, the Rockets have done an impressive job when Capella is out. I think one of the theories that, that's there, and this, there's certainly validity to this, is that when Capella is, let's say, he's caught on the perimeter and and the other team gets into the paint, they can still protect the rim decently. They're not as good as Capella. Capella is their best rim protector for a reason. But generally speaking, they're not they're not just going getting run through like tissue paper. And that's a big problem for a lot of switch heavy teams against either the Rockets or the Warriors, because if they can get by the first line of defense, all of a sudden it becomes a much easier shot than it would have been otherwise. Okay, so there's two weaknesses in the way the Rockets defend with all their switching. One is that Capella is always out, right? He's always out on the floor because they're switching every pick. Now, the Warriors run the least pick and roll of anyone in the league, so it's going to be definitely a little bit different in that regard. But So if Draymond's conducting up at the top, so what does that do to you? One is it means that you're if you're running this pick and roll, you should be vulnerable to a, a big man slipping. The Jazz got that in Game 2. It led to them winning Game 2, and then the Rockets did a hell of a job of not allowing that for the rest of the series. And, you know, you know, Danny, the, Rock, the Warriors' offense better than mine to be able to figure out where this is applicable. The second one that I think is interesting where the Jazz actually had the most luck is because Capella's switching it up top, if you're running a high pick and roll, Capella's going to switch the ball. You swing it quickly to the wing, and if the wing can go and catch... 
Capella's at 25 feet. So there's nobody back on the rim. And you can get on the rim in that style. But I don't know who on the Warriors, other than maybe Durant, jumps out to me as a guy who's going to go play go and catch driving from the wing that same way. I, I see them backdoor cutting and doing some things of that to get the – they get a huge amount of restricted area shots. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But are there guys on the Warriors who – passes to the wing they're going to just beat their guy off the dribble while Capella's pulled up high I think the big challenge there is going to be if they can beat their guy quickly like Clay Thompson he can attack a closeout but that's not really what this is this is more just try a quick attack one-on-one Durant certainly can if Curry's off ball he can but outside of that you know Iguodala at this point in his career I don't consider that a significant strength of his Draymond maybe depending on who's guarding him if if he's not involved in the screening action but maybe he is because that's why Capella is 25 feet out yeah it's it's not necessarily a strength of of where they're going unless it's Durant and Durant in those circumstances can absolutely do it and the Warriors also will face a challenge with something else that the Rockets do a really good job of and this came into the Jazz series which was they do a lot of activity of the players that are on the far side of the action kind of narrowing the court and then at moments they force you to either make the hard pass and have that player beat you in the corner or it's just another player who's in the way that doesn't mean they're like standing at the rim necessarily getting in the getting right in there but they're enough they're close enough to make the player think and the Rockets will be able to do that pretty aggressively on Iguodala because Iguodala he's different than being a non-shooter he's an exceedingly reluctant shooter and in certain ways that's better because the help is is a little bit different the way people think about it but he still doesn't want to shoot so the effects are pretty similar it's interesting that there's not the your game plan for the rockets is similar to game planning for the warriors in some sense so when you game plan for the rockets you have to just concede that pj tucker and bob mute are going to get some open threes if you're going to stop harden stop chris paul and stop the capella roll certain times you're going to have to bring somebody in and you're leaving off of those guys the warriors i think are the same in the sense you're leaving draymond green or Andre Gudala. And I'm not sure that I don't think that the Rockets actually have an advantage in that, that Tucker and Bamute are actually better shooters than Igudala and Green. Yeah, I would say that that's not necessarily an advantage for the Rockets. Also, the Warriors players there are, are much better passers and decision makers. So that also, you know, so there are there are ways that they can create using that space, though those are imperfect because you can help and recover and all these other all these other elements. But yeah, that's it's going to be a lot of games in this series. And it's, I, I talked about this a little bit with Nate. Like it's going to be crazy to see games in a series with this many elite talents swinging on whether role players can make corner threes and sometimes above the break threes in Draymond's case. But I think that's going to be a big part of the series. Let me ask you a question because. Looking at the Warriors, there's one area where they are fundamentally different than they have been, than they were a year ago. So last year they were number one shooting in the paint. Number one restricted area, 67%. Number one in the paint, 61%. This year, they're, I think, number two or three in the paint at six, in the restricted area, 68%, virtually the same. They're number one in the paint, virtually the same at 61%. But they've gone from 13th in the league in shots in the restricted area to, I believe, about 25th or 26th. I'm pulling it up right now. But now they're one of the bottom five teams. And it used to be, I know for a fact, when the Jazz were playing them, the Jazz math on playing the Warriors, which obviously didn't work in the playoffs, probably due to talent more than game planning, was 
very much that you have to take away the restricted area that everyone talks about their three the warriors three point shooting and all of, and their great shooting but that they get a huge amount of their offense at the restricted area at a high rate and if you don't take that away it doesn't matter what what you do the warriors have gone from 13th to 25th in the league in shots in the restricted area why i think the biggest element that changed this year was just inconsistent health. I mean, part of the reason the Warriors gain so gain so many of those opportunities, because they're not doing it through post-ups, they almost never post up, is Curry and often Durant together, and the gravity that those two guys, the attention that they draw, it just creates these seams. And those two guys were very rarely healthy at the same time this year. Curry missed a bunch of time. He missed time twice, you know, with the, the sprain MCL later, but then earlier in the season with the ankle issues, he missed, I think it was three weeks. And then Durant had some time. So I, I think that's a, a big part of it. From what I have seen in the playoffs, the fundamentals of getting back to that are pretty much there. But they, the offense just looked fundamentally different when Curry was out. It was more the kind of Durant isolations and everything like that. And there was there's still some of that going on. I mean, we saw that in the series against New Orleans. And Durant basically won one of those games as an isolation player. That shouldn't happen as much when Curry's on the floor. But I think it relates more to that and just kind of not not having the full complement than some sort of schematic difference that I've seen. Okay. Who's a worse isolation defender, James Harden or Steph Curry? Harden. Because Harden... He, he, there are times when he just doesn't compete. I mean, we saw that against, against Mitchell. I think a, a lot of the Warriors, sorry, a lot of the Jazz best offense was just getting Harden, you know, kind of doing what Houston does, getting Harden on your best scorer and just going after him one-on-one. Curry is imperfect and he's, you know, I, I think if, especially if you're playing a, him on a big guy, there are foul issues and a lot of other things that could come into play. But if it's on a player, let's say six, seven or smaller, I'd rather have Curry. The numbers are the opposite. Interesting. The numbers, according to Second Spectrum, are really favor uh, Harden as an isolation defender over. So I don't know. Interesting. You know what? What did you see? Because yeah. I saw a lot of him getting exploited in the series against the Jazz. Did you see um, that as well? I felt what I saw was that the I felt better if they were going up against Harden than they were against Capella, right? Like I think that's telling, if that makes sense. That you did not want to bring Rudy Gobert up on the pick; you'd rather have them just go with Harden. So I thought that was to me that was a little bit relevant. I think Arden executes the game plan, if that makes sense, so that it allows his teammates to know what's going on. You buy? You understand what I'm saying there or not? I do. I, I think I think that makes some makes some intuitive sense to me and. Yeah, it's, and, and Harden, he's certainly better on, you know, like backing him down because he's so much physically stronger and he can, he can do a lot there. I just think, you know, if you, with it, it's so it's so interesting to me that it ends up paralleling, including a former jazz man and his canter, that a lot of these bad defenders, the way to attack them is to put them in the primary action, make them defend in space because of the way the rea- the way they have to react and that it uses more lateral quickness and judgment. And then when you get into more stagnant stuff, it becomes easier because all they have to do is look Look at one guy and stand there, and maybe it ties in with that. Yeah, my t- the numbers, by the way, are uh, so in 212 isolations, according to Second Spectrum, Harden was 0.72 points per direct isolation, was pretty damn good, right? And Steph Curry was 1.01 when defending. That's interesting. And to to circle back on something else we talked about earlier, for the Warriors this season, 31% of their shots came in the restricted area when Curry was on the floor and less than 28% when he was off. So I do think that was a factor. And by the way, Capella in 307 isolations this year was 0.86. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he's really a great 
great. Now, all right, so the Jazz play pick and roll, right? Like, I mean, so help me out here, Danny, because I, you know, I just prepped a whole series where the Jazz run 125. I wonder if I could find this number on the Warriors because I think it's the, the lowest in the league. It's really low. Uh, so the Jazz run 125 picks or handoffs a game. It's by far the highest in the NBA. It's a, it's probably, you know, unique to who they are. And then when you compare that, I think the Golden State Warriors run 64 picks or handoffs a game. The Jazz run 127. That is the most and the fewest in the NBA. So that's an incredible change for the Rockets. What does that do to the Rockets switching defense? Well, I I think it's going to be interesting to see how that number changes because, yeah, the Rockets... It'll, it won't put them in as many as many kind of awkward situations, but then the Warriors do so much action just through cutting and I guess things that, that wouldn't necessarily be quantified there. Yeah, I, I think the communication is going to be a b- big challenge. It was actually, as you mentioned, in Game 2 where the Jazz were able to exploit it with slips and, and movement in, in that realm. I would be... Yeah, that's that's it's an interesting question to see really does that put more strain on it. I think what the other element, you know, the fewer fewer picks is that the Warriors have a couple of guys that are should be able to attack in that and, and both of these defenses have the strength of turning their opponent into an isolation team and that ties in with one of the biggest questions that I've had which is both of these teams are actually really talented in isolation. So what I what I'm looking forward to with this series, I mean except for the open threes by the role players is that you kind of it's not that you're playing into their hands because I think both of these teams like the Rockets are considered an, like an ISO heavy team the reason they're an ISO team is because you can't switch against them because their their guys are so good and the Warriors are largely the same so which of these teams can actually execute what the other team is kind of trying to make them do but just overcome it because of their superlative talent wait why can't the Rockets switch on the Warriors they can, but I think that it will create a lot of, it'll create these these mismatches. I mean, the Warriors won't aggressively seek out the weak link, generally speaking, but if you put your weakest defender or your second weakest defender on Kevin Durant, it's a much easier job for Kevin Durant than if you have your best one on him. Same with Curry. Yeah. I mean, we'll, yeah, see, we'll see what I, I Curry see it, we get. I see it very differently. I think the Rockets are going to switch absolutely every single oh, they, they will. screen, and they switch. I mean, the other part of this that's interesting is the Rockets, because they switch so much, are the number one off-ball screen defense in the NBA. Yes. And teams run the fewest against them by because it doesn't do you any good. They're so good at defending them, and they switch them all. So, like, the league average compared to what teams run against – I mean, I know the Jazz ran um, – I could probably pull it up for you, but the Jazz ran per 100 possessions, the Jazz ran about 73 off-ball screens a game. They were way down against the Rockets. It just didn't do you any good to do that. The Warriors, I think, run the most off-ball screens and are the best off-ball screening team in the league. But, like, nobody runs them against the Rockets because it doesn't do you any good because they switch everything. So I'm curious to see the Warriors did not run the most. They ran the fifth most, but they were the best team in the league on off-ball screens. So I'm curious to see in that regard. But I would think the the Rockets are going to be switch even more than they usually do against the Warriors, not less. I think they'll try to switch more, but what the Warriors basically, it's kind of like the the wheel, like when or when you try to get it to stop on a specific thing, where they're going to go with that. And it also ties in with the Rockets, because what we've seen from Houston and from Cleveland in the last couple finals is using that approach, not that the Warriors switching scheme is the same as the Rockets, it's different, but using that approach to get Stephen Curry on whoever the Rockets want to initiate that action. And I think the Rockets are going to be much more zealous and effective about getting the matchup they want than the Warriors are. Why? 
because they care about it more. So there's this this organizational idea that a lot of teams have used against them that one of the ways of short-circuiting the Warriors' offense is by attacking Steph Curry on defense. And I agree with it from a theoretical standpoint. I think that it can work really well. Also, he is, you know, you have this combination which is different. Well, there are a couple other teams where it's true, where your opponent who is a, a strong defense, their worst defensive player is their best offensive player. And so you want to make that guy work as much as you can and exploit that matchup as much as you can because it gets you better looks and it gets that guy more tired. I'm going I'm going to agree. I think you're just too smart for me. I don't understand at all. So I'm going to just tip the hat to you and just decide that Danny LaRue is way smarter than I am and cuz I don't understand I don't understand why you think that. Well, I'll I'll explain it briefly. Sorry, I'm I, No, like, it's fine. No, so so if you want to think about right, so the- think about think about trying to get if if this isn't the goal of a Rockets possession, but let's say theoretically it were. The goal was to get James Harden on an island against a player on the other defense. But it like, is, but that is what they do almost every possession. It is what they do, but it's not necessarily what they're trying to do. It's because oh, I the totally other, disagree. Because I the other totally team disagree. switches. See, I think if if teams didn't switch the way that they feel they have to against the Rockets, like if, if team if if teams thought they could fight over screens and survive, they would. It's just that they. But can't. the Rockets don't run that many screens. They're the number one ISO team in the league because they find those matchups and they go. Well, because so they're. I, they're I, I think it's kind of a it's kind of a chicken and the egg proposition with them. I, I think that there's such, it runs into ISOs because that's the that's the most tolerable option against the Rockets. That's my theory. It's not necessarily what they want. It's just that they can make that work, and it's what the opposing defense is going to give them. I thought I saw them hunt matchups for. Well, they do, they do, but it's but so like let's say theoretically that you tried to treat James Harden the way that teams defend John Wall or defend. Actually, let me let me back up for a second because I think the Rockets are really simple and tell me where you disagree with this. So they're running a high pick. They run the third most picks in the league. Yes. Right? So they're running a high pick and roll with either Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella almost every time down. Mm -hmm. If you switch it, they back out to an isolation. Yep. If you don't switch it, Harden and Chris Paul penetrate. If you allow Capella to get below the big, they throw the lob. If the big drops, they either take a mid-range jumper or continue, depending how good your big is defensively. In the case of Gobert, they couldn't get to the rim. So they then took a bunch of mid-range shots. If they can get to the rim, they keep going. And if you help off anyone, then they're kicking it out and they're getting their threes. But like to me, that's their whole system other than they, then they run in transition, which they actually run much less after January 1 this year than they did earlier. But to me, that's... Like, they got three things they do. They just change the personnel and where the personnel is. What's tricky about them watching the Jazz game plan for them is that one day Eric Gordon's in the spot, and the next day Trevor Rees is in the spot, and the next day Chris Paul's in the spot. And so throughout a series, what D'Antoni is doing is moving where guys are. And so it's very hard to then specifically game plan for each of these sets. But the sets are all very basic. Are you seeing the Rockets differently than I do? No, I think what we're discussing is a matter of semantics. And what it gets into is that I think it's more the way you described it is exactly right. It's the way that other people describe it as like they're trying to get isolations. They're trying to get those other two. It's just that isolation is generally what the opponent is conceding because the other two options are even deadlier than the isolation, even except that, you know, Harden and Chris Paul this year have been ridiculous isolation scores. Right. I mean, they're, so, so again, they're like, they're over 1.0 on every single scenario. It's ridiculous. It's completely insane. And 
one of the big questions of this theoretical series is going to be, can that, can that persist over a small sample? And, you know, just like three point shooting, there is variance with isolation scoring and those guys are incredible at it, but, and they've done, you know, otherworldly stuff this year, but will that be able to continue? Still more to talk about with David about the Western Conference Finals, including our predictions and then lots of other NBA topics, but I want to take a moment to tell you about HIMS, and I'm really excited about having HIMS as a sponsor because it kind of allows a, a public service in a sense that something I was less familiar with and I should be more familiar with considering I'm entering my mid-30s soon enough, is that it is better to be proactive when dealing with hair loss rather than reactive. It is so much easier to keep the hair you have rather than replace the hair you've lost. And since two-thirds of men start losing their hair by 35, it's important to be ahead of the game there. And it's getting a lot easier to stay ahead with hymns. And so we are incredibly fortunate now that thanks to science, baldness can be optional and hymns is a great way to make that happen. So what they do is they connect you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions, and you don't have to deal with so many of the other parts of this process that can be so time-consuming, often costly as well. You don't have to deal with a waiting room or doctor visits. Just answer a few questions, doctor will review it, and can prescribe you medication, and it's shipped directly to you, so you don't have to worry about all of those constraints. And also, and even better, using Real GM Radio, you can actually get it at a great rate to test it out for yourself. So what you do is you go to forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash real, R-E-A-L. It's a custom URL in this one, not a promo code. If you go there, you can get a trial month of hymns for just $5 while supplies last. It would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or pharmacy, but you can try it with hymns, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash real. You can check it out for yourself. Hymns, a new wellness brand for men. So I guess the place that we can we can end with this is just, do you have a prediction on this series at this point? I think the Rockets have the weakness here, and that is that their isolation defense and their after-miss defense is just, they don't switch sides of the floor very well. And I think that's going to cause them problems in this series. So that, as I look at these two teams and I try to figure out who's got the one issue out there that might cause them. The Warriors had the most transition possessions in the league. The Rockets are 16th in the league after a turnover, 11th in the league after a missed shot. I have a tendency to think that that's going to be the Achilles heel for either of these two teams. And, you know, maybe I'm not right, but I think the Rockets transition defense this year was 23rd overall so that's you know that's then mixed either of those two numbers i just gave you and it actually gets worse somehow like to me that's and watching the series the jazz were able to get downhill on them so i think that's probably going to be the achilles heel that cost the rockets the series and i would point out that that's the achilles heel that could make this series short it could be and you talked about how the rockets don't run very much. And that's an important point because they are capable as a fast break team. It's just not what their best players want to do. So they don't push it as hard. They might do a little bit more against the Warriors, but that's a part of Golden State's MO. Like that's that they want to, they want to push. And the Rockets have also been a very inconsistent and often reluctant offensive rebounding team. They've gotten a few big offensive rebounds over the course of the season. PJ Tucker had a couple against the Warriors and numerous other teams, depending on how they close these lineups. Capella can certainly get them, but the Rockets don't push it as hard as 
there. So that means, and if you don't go as hard for offensive rebounds, that's fine. You know, there, there are different benefits there, but if that allows the Warriors to get back in transition and the Rockets are, they aren't doing either thing. If they aren't getting enough offensive rebounds to keep guys back. And then if they aren't getting back in transition enough to keep them honest, I could see that being a big, big problem in the series. Yep. Worth noting. I do think that the other one that is worth kind of pointing out there is that the Rockets defense is good at the things the Warriors do, right? So they're the best off-ball screen yep. team in the league. That's what the Rockets. That's what the Warriors do. So I think that they. I think that there's some level where you probably have to give a little bit more credit there. The other one on the Rockets that's worth noting is while they didn't run as much later in the year, they're still great at it when they do it. Right. Yeah. They're they're actually one of the most effective transition offenses in the entire league. I think they were actually number one in points per play. It's just that they their frequency wasn't right. as high as the super running teams. Either them or Cleveland is my yeah. memory on it. Yeah. After February first. Yeah, now, probably being a little unfair, after February first, they were. I think they they had not their ninth in the league in transition. It's just a little different opportunities. That's just a little less than we would think, right? Because we think of them as Dan Tony seven seconds or less. It's not as though they don't run, but they are. They the other one that's really interesting on them that I don't know if we brought up enough here, and I apologize if we already did. So if you look at them, they're not great defensively for a while, and everyone kind of is talking about the Dan Tony you know, lack of defense thing midway through the season, and they're playing a fast pace. And then all of a sudden they stop playing a fast pace and they get better. So if you kind of look at their defensive rank and their pace rank, and then I think it stems to their turnover rank too, if I may. So if you look at them in 10-game windows, I don't know what you like to do. I don't like months. I think they're very arbitrary. So if you look at 10, I guess 10 game windows are just as arbitrary, but they were not a very good defensive team until their opening 40 games of the year. In They're the 10th, the 7th, the 11th, and the 24th ranked defense in the league for those 10 games, okay? Their turnover rate is 18th, 22nd, 7th, and 19th, and their pace is 14, 7, 2, and 5. So they're playing fast, they're turning it over, and they're not defending. The last 40 games of the year, here's their pace, 20th, 29th, 23rd, 22nd for 10-game sequences. What happens to their turnovers? 4th, 5th best, 12th, and 14th. And what happens to their defense? 4th, 5th, 5th, and 2nd. That's really interesting. I thought that was the most interesting thing about who we were playing when we prepped. The things that jumped out to me were they slowed down, they stopped turning it over, and therefore they got you into the half court defensively, and they are one of the best half court defenses in the league. And that was the takeaway I had. Um, And so if they're able to do that, then my comment that the Warriors win this series and maybe win it quickly because then transition's not as big a deal. Their weakness is that transition. And so, you know, if if the game gets moving, it's a huge advantage. But it, I, ironically enough, a Mike D'Antoni team, to me, the key to this whole thing is slowing the series down. Well, and the, the phrase that I often use is feedback loops. And the idea of a feedback loop is that, for, well, I'll do frame this, frame this in terms of the Rockets. So if the Rockets are more successful offensively, then that means fewer transition looks off of live rebounds, off of turnovers, and they'll, they'll get more opportunities to succeed defensively, and then that gives them more opportunities to, to succeed offensively. I think there are going to be a lot of games in this series that are at least a couple that aren't close. Because one of the teams gets into a rhythm, the other one never does, and then it's so hard to catch up against this other the other team that it'll be a real challenge. The other question that I think is important, and we don't have to talk about this at length, is just who stays on the floor because they're like you know each of these teams has a core of really good players that we expect to to, to be out there in, in crunch time, but also just that that it's not going to be a problem for them. But then for the Warriors, this is 
basically all of their centers, Kevon Looney, David West, maybe Jordan Bell, Quinn Cook, all those type players. And then for the Rockets, it's their their extra forwards, Nene, Ryan Anderson is a big question mark. And so the adjustment process of facing, Gerald Green's another good one, facing an opponent that is so intelligent and so skilled that will separate the wheat from the chaff. And whichever coach is more aggressive at making sure that it's only his best players is going to benefit a lot. So who are you thinking? Well, if Kerr ends up starting Looney, that could end up being a big problem because Looney is better. He's better on bigs than on smalls defensively. And the Rockets have really, really good smalls offensively. So maybe if he gets onto Harden and Paul, I think they're going to eat him alive. And Gerald Green, I think is going to get, well, Gerald Green and Nick Young, if if either coach tries to play those guys in this series, I think that's going to be a big problem just because they compromise the defensive integrity. And both of those players in the scope of the season series, which again, it's only three games, so it's not that, and not star heavy. Both of them had scoring binges where their team was outscored, which I think is so appropriate for Nick Young and Gerald Green. And then with the bigs, I think it's going to be the, the the players who can't really switch, who can't really move their feet very well. David West might have some trouble in this series, and Nene might have some trouble in this series. And both teams have enough talent that I think they'll be able to make it work. But 10 bad minutes from a guy who can be exploited could end up swinging a game. Absolutely. I don't think David West can play in this series. I think he's going to have some problems. Yeah. So, but I don't think David West has been very good all year. I know people disagree with me on that, but. Uh, He's um, he's been good in a specific role. What I was thinking about this in, in the context of, because the Warriors had to change up their rotations in the Pelican series because they matched up Draymond Green's minutes with Anthony Davis, which was a very good idea. And it was, it was the way that you approach it in the playoff series. But so what that did for the first real time this season is it separated David West from from Draymond because Draymond plays in that what what is known as what I call the second unit for the Warriors because it's when Curry doesn't play so that's generally the second unit and so that group has been amazing defensively this year but then you sit there and you go well yeah it has generally Draymond Green and Andre Guadalla along with David West why wouldn't that group be great defensively and so I think what happened with that is that because he's the nominal center David West got a lot of credit for that group being so good defensively when that credit it should probably go at least, you know, not not like David West was garbage or wasn't a part of it, but those other guys were exceedingly important as well because when they pulled Draymond from those lineups because that wasn't when Davis was playing, even though AD wasn't on the floor, the Warriors didn't defend particularly well. Be interesting to see neither team's played a team as good as the other. I think that's relevant too. Yeah, and I mean, we saw the adjustment in the in the other rounds. I mean, I think we saw this from Utah to a point in Game 1 and, and definitely from the Pelicans in Game 1 of their respective series that, oh, crap, you have to play a team that that's this good. And now I think both of these teams are going to be on the other side of that just because they're facing an opponent that's capable and that can that can put them into difficulty and make, you know, and what I like so much about this series is that both teams are going to kind of get the other the other team into what the defense wants to do. It's just that both teams have such good offenses that they can that they can succeed anyway. And I'm really excited to see it. One note for the Warriors that I don't think will be a problem because they've had all these practice days, but when you play Anthony Davis or the Jazz case playing Russell Westbrook, you transitionally you run back to the paint and you try to find Anthony Davis or you try to find Drew Holiday penetrating or you build the wall for Russell Westbrook. And instead of building a wall, you got to build a web against the Rockets. You've got to run back in transition and just find the guy closest to you at that moment and go out to the three-point line to get them for the times when they are in transition. If you go back to the paint, they will kill you. Yep, and that also 
creates the communication challenges if they don't get anything in transition because it, some teams are obsessed about getting to the right the right guys in half court and so sometimes it can lead to weird communication with scrambling or oh that's not my guy but yeah both these teams are going to face a real challenge there but I think Houston I think Houston is more used to that if they can actually get the hell back David and I still have plenty to talk about throughout the rest of the NBA, especially the Utah Jazz. But I want to take a moment to talk to you about BetDSI. We are in an absolutely spectacular part of the sports year. The NBA playoffs are still going, you know, just talked about the conference finals and then going into the NBA finals, which are coming up soon. Also, hockey's still in their playoffs. Baseball is in the swing of the regular season. And then a lot of other events, they time it out. You know, it's kind of the beginning of weather being nice around the country. So there's a lot going on. And that makes it a great time to check out BetDSI for whatever you're really interested in. They have wagering options on the NBA playoffs golf, boxing, UFC, really whatever you're interested in. They've been in business for more than 20 years. They're safe, top rated, and they've built a reputation on fast, easy payment of winnings. And that's an exceedingly important part of their business. And so what you do is you go to betdsi.com and you can check out the Real GM special offer, which is phenomenal right now. You use the promo code REALGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, and you can get up to $2,500 free on your first deposit, which is just an incredible option that you have there. So check it out, betdsi.com, use the Real GM promo code, get up to $2,500 free on your first deposit, play, win, and get paid at BetDSI. Let's talk a little bit about the Jazz. I, I This has been a remarkable season for them. I think the last Last time you and I talked about the Jazz on a podcast was when you were on Real Jam Radio with with Adam, and you predicted that Donovan Mitchell was going to score 15 points a game, and I was skeptical, even though he looked really good in summer league. And guess what? Donovan Mitchell more than did that. He you had- guys talked about Rodney Hood so much of that podcast, <laughs> and I would just like to point out if anybody goes back, well, and Rodney Hood still it, in I the was, playoffs. I was completely uh <laughs> debatable i was completely quiet every time i just want to if you go back you and were. listen to that podcast you guys kept talking about rodney hood and i just sat there quietly the whole time that's totally true i'm remembering that right now and mitchell yeah i mean he got the opportunity absolutely delivered and so utah was able to do a couple of different things i was actually just writing their offseason preview for the athletic the other day so i was thinking about this in, in, in a way that i think could be useful for this conversation about how they the biggest thing that dennis Lindsay did right and he did a lot of things right beyond get moving up to get down to mitchell that that's its own thing is that they reacted to losing gordon hayward by not overspending in terms of long-term contracts so they got all these players on team-friendly deals that overall worked out i mean especially if tabo hadn't gotten hurt it could it would have looked even better and so now it ended up being a massively successful season you know they were i think fifth in point differential something in in fifth to seventh something in that range and now they didn't make any mistake in terms of oh crap well we need to we need to get somebody else and overpay like evan turner or something like that now they're in position to try to get somebody whenever that opportunity presents itself and that might not necessarily be this year but they don't they don't have to rush because they're already good yeah, I think, you know, if you go back to that conversation we had, I kept bringing up the same question. I kept asking the same question over and over and all off season, which is why do we assume that a top-level offensive team is better than a top-level defensive team, right? Like the whole discussion we had, we did Northwest Division, is everybody was very high on Denver and Minnesota, and I kept saying, okay, Denver and Minnesota are elite offensive teams with bad defenses. 
Why do we believe that's better than an elite defensive team that's a bad offensive team? And one of the things I think that maybe we learned a little bit is actually systematically, we always think that system can, like Thibodeau's system, Mike Malone's system, defensively will carry the day and that offense is talent. But I think Quinn Snyder might have proved that defense is talent and offense is system, right? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I like think, Quinn I think Snyder's offense got them to ha- Quinn Snyder's offensive system got a group of guys I don't think anybody would put as a offensive group to 15th in the league offensively, while Tom Thibodeau's defense got them to 22nd and Mike Malone's got them to 26th. Well, I, I think uh, you could also read this in with what the Celtics did, and the, granted, the Celtics like because doing it not necessarily with bad defensive personnel, but just with young guys, and generally speaking, young guys don't defend. Is that I think you can you can do it either way with buy-in, but defensive talent makes a huge difference too. I mean, the Jazz defended well all year, but they went to a whole different level when Rudy Gobert was on the floor. Right. I think the Celtics and the Jazz are the same team. The only difference is the Celtics play in the Eastern Conference, so they're still playing. Like, if the Jazz were playing in the Eastern Conference, they're still playing. I agree with that. Well, I now, think, they, I think When they that, get Kyrie and some other guys they you know back, they may be... Some other guys. Uh, or, well, I meant Gordon, but I didn't. Or you know, they also have other injuries. I didn't. I, I was not. I'm not big into the. I don't care. Like I'm not one of these people who's like he's not Valdemar to me. I, I will. I will say Gordon Hayward's name. I don't have a problem with it. But I think they're very similar, right? The Jazz were 15th offensively, second defensively, fifth overall in net rating. The Celtics were 18th offensively, first defensively, and sixth in net rating. Like they're they're like basically the same team. And it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes moving forward because, as you said, the Celtics have guys coming back, but the Jazz are going to have an opportunity to add to this team. I don't know exactly where they want to go with it, but the Jazz also have these just twin really, really interesting free agencies this summer, and they're they're interesting for different reasons. So with Favors, it's a lot about choice and what does he want, and also because there are so few teams with cap space, what money is on the table, what roles are on the table. Whereas with Exum, I think really what the question is, is is there another team that sees starter or even above starter potential with him and is willing to pay Exum on that kind of money? And the Jazz, with, with restricted free agents generally, you see what the market bears out, whereas with unrestricted guys, you have to be you have to handle it differently because they have so much more freedom in the matter. Someone gives Dante Exum a big contract, and maybe someone will. I've, I've, that's all good. They're guessing. Well, yeah, there because, wouldn't be there wouldn't be any because, reason for them to be doing something other than guessing. I've watched every minute of Dante's career, and I got no idea. I honestly don't know. I really like. I don't know. I, I if I was Dennis Lindsay, I would lose sleep over it every day. If I was in their front office and I had to sit in meetings to discuss it, I mean, I don't know, Danny. I don't know if he is a sidearm seventh inning reliever to just right-handers who can play like in, or whether or not he's on the verge of becoming, you know, your third starter. If I'm using a pitching staff analogy, right? Like, is he just a specialist who's really, really fast and sometimes is a baby giraffe and can't get his legs underneath him and is out of control some of the time, but, and against, you know, Oklahoma City couldn't play but against Houston was incredibly impactful? Or is he who never, ever shoots? Or does he learn how to shoot just enough and how to play off the bounce just enough that he becomes... I mean, if he can piece this that speed and that first step together with some other stuff, holy smokes. But I don't know that – I don't have any idea whether I know if – I, if I think that's happening. I, I don't have any idea. I have no idea what I would do with him. Yeah, and there are also big questions with Exum in terms of how much more he can grow because the off-seasons for a really young player can be incredibly important for building their skill base, and he just missed a lot of that time due to injuries. And so maybe there is more development left 
in him that would normally be done at age, you know, 1920 because he missed those summers that he can he can catch up. I certainly think that could be true. Exum's handle getting better would be such a godsend for him. And the way that I'll phrase this is a little bit different, but it's a similar idea, which is I ranked Exum first in his draft class. And that was, you know, I didn't, I didn't go all the way down the board. I really watched more like the first eight to 10 guys in that class. And if, and the reason he was above Joel Embiid was because Joel Embiid was hurt then. And we didn't know if he was ever going to be fully healthy. So, you know, let's, let's take that and throw that to the side. Basically, I understand like that, that that's probably not the case, even if we throw out Embiid, but Parker and Wiggins, disappointing the way that they have and Aaron Gordon you know I think Gordon has he's certainly shown more but he's not a perfect player either and so what's so crazy is that I I don't think that Exum is the best player in his draft class anymore but it's so weird that I like I don't have I, I don't I don't know how to how to how to build this is like the things that I still that I liked about him so much are still there and the negatives still feel a little bit temporary but that doesn't mean that he's going to that it's like a guarantee that he's going to be a good player it's so weird maybe the jazz and the bucks should just trade Dante Exum for Jabari Parker as restricted free agents Maybe they should just trade those They're guys. They're like perfect they should, for each Basically, team. here's what they should do. They they come to agreements with those players, and they make an agreement that every season they trade them back and forth until one team says no. One team says, <laughs> okay, this is going to... And then you know, like, hey, if it doesn't work out, you're going to go back to the other place. Like, maybe you, that, like that's a, the, the way this works. Because I have no idea to do what to do with Jabari. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. Like, if you're the Jazz, Jabari Parker if he's any good, is the perfect addition to the team, in, right? You have a inferior defensive player, but you have the best defensive big man in the league, so that gives you the freedom to have an inferior defensive player, and you need another scorer. And Jabari may or may not be able to really score. Like, I don't even know if I think he's good at that. Well, Dante, Dante, to me, seems like on, on a Milwaukee team that could just become even more switchable and even faster, like, he could be unbelievable. But I don't even know, like, right? It's just, I have no idea about either of those two players. Yeah, and Exum, at, at times in his career, has been a, a decent catch-and-shoot guy. So you can use that in, in their approach. And Jabari, the capability with the ball in his hands could be very useful on the Jazz. Like, if he, if he gets into a mismatch, you know, get their movement system, and he just then he just beasts on that guy, I could totally see that working. Yeah, I, I, thought, I, 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 thought I, I really want – here's the answer to the question. I want, I want your thought on this one. Dante Exum, in this season, had one off-the-bounce field goal on three attempts in 14 games. Okay? What? One. In the 2016-17 season, in 66 games, he had eight off-the-bounce pull-up jump shots. He was one of 15 from three on those. He was eight of 33. And in the 14-15 season, he was he had seven. They were all – oh, no, he had 14, seven threes and seven twos. And he was 14 of 74. How big a deal is that? Like, does that override the unbelievable speed, the incredible length defensively, the world-class feat? I think it gets pretty close to it because that, you know, that's where the league is going is it's not necessarily that a player has to make a ton of those shots. It's that making them forces opponents to defend them differently. 
And if teams feel that they can just let Exum take that shot, then he's not creating as much for his teammates by virtue of his presence than another player would. Like the extreme example of this beyond Steph Curry is Damian Lillard. Like Lillard's ability and and frequency as a pull-up shooter creates opportunities for everybody else on the Blazers. I don't know. Like I've watched Dante. I know that there are parts of him that are world-class. There's no one in the league that's first step is quicker and longer than his. No one. He's 23 of 111 on pull-up shots in his career. In his career, that's that's completely insane. And he's a, and he's a a point guard or at least a guard, however we wanted to find terms here. I think he's I think he's an off guard. I think he might be an can, off guard too. Who can play some point guard, but then he but then what is is he is he just well, catch and shoot guy? Well, is he so Rob, the, but like what's Robert Covington? I, I have a look, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a pure shooting. You know. Yeah. Well, the, you but can, he's you not. He's not work. a knockdown shooter. Like Robert no, Covington. No, no. Well, Covington's like a, a little bit inconsistent, but when he's when he's feeling it, he can he can be pretty incredible. Right. So, so who knows? I so, mean, we don't. Have, and, and the crazy thing is, you have no sample size. No, no. Right? Sample, you have yeah. four, you have 14 games this year, and then last year, it's not even fair to uh, give him a sample size because fact of the matter is, I don't think anybody on their first half of the season off an ACL, no matter when the ACL was, matter. So you really only have the post-All-Star break 24 games to look at of last season in which, you know, it's the same story. He's 37% catch and shoot, and he's one of 12 on pull-up jump shots for the entire period of time last year in the second half of the season. Like, I don't know on Dante. I don't know on Jabari either. Like, nope. I don't even know if Jabari helps you win. I mean, if he tries the way he did for one half of one game in the playoffs... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really tough with both those guys. Plenty more to discuss with David Locke on a variety of topics, but I want to take a quick moment to talk to you about our friends at TrueCar. These days, news travels lightning fast, which is great if you're a sports fan, because between updates, breaking news notifications, and Twitter feeds, you can always be up to the minute on every team and every game. While that is great for sports, it is the opposite when it comes to buying a car. Go online and you are bombarded with numbers. Invoice, list price, dealer price. It's hard to know how to recognize a good price. Not anymore. Introducing True Price from True Car. It is the only price you need to know because it is exactly what you will pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories. How do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want, so you know how to recognize a good price. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. So I guess the other question with Exum, and we've just talked about all this stuff about I don't know, let's take the theory of Dante Exum and place that with Donovan Mitchell. I think one of the things that I took away from the Jazz in these playoffs was that while Mitchell can do work off ball and 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 he, you know, that's something he is capable of doing, I think that he he's more dynamic and he brings more to an offense when he has the ball in his hands. And so then what I was thinking about with that is okay, well then that opens up Okay, different- so just for the for just for the record I disagree. Interesting. So let's talk about that first then because I think he's Al- I think he's Allen Iverson. Okay. Who played off the ball? But went isolation when he needed to. So he's a threat on the ball. He's also an incredible, the part of Donovan's game nobody's seen is he's an incredible catch and shoot guy. He wasn't early in his college career. That wasn't right. something, a strength of his. No, I think you get a good point guard who's a little bit of a threat and you have Donovan coming off Clay Thompson like pin downs and things of that sort with the ability to turn the corner and drive. And then he's good night now. And then as he develops an off the bounce three so that, you know, in the other aspect of his game, that's going to be the next part of his game. I mean, you want my stupid number next year? Sure. 30. 
He's going to average 30 at some point in the next three seasons. Well, if he's going to average 30, he has to have the ball in his hands a lot. He can't be like but, Bradley. He can't be Bradley Beal and average 30. Yeah, but he could be Allen Iverson and average 30. Yeah, Eric true. Snow was the point guard. You're playing him off the ball. When the possession gets down lower, then he comes and gets the ball. Interesting. Okay, so let's he's not great. He's not great at making the reads, and his and this could change. I mean, this is he played eight games of point guard before the season, then got thrown into point guard for a lot of the series with Rubio being hurt and with Dante being out for the year. It was never intended. But he played eight games of point guard at Louisville when their starting point guard got hurt. So he's going to get better at it. He gets better th- better at everything he does. But I think you're better off playing him off the ball. And I think if you dig into some of the numbers early in the year, showed this is where you can be got to be very careful with numbers. Um, I, even I said that. Some of the numbers early in the year showed that he was better when Rubio was off the floor than on the floor. The second half of the season showed the opposite, but it also then had a little bit to do with he's playing a lot of his minutes with, with Favors and Gobert on the floor, right? So, like, what happens when you put Donovan on a spread floor? I mean, we Allen Iverson never got to play with really a spread floor. He did not. Uh, he also got to play against defenses that didn't know how to exploit that lack of shooting. But sure. it yeah, so so then what would you be looking for in a guard complement? So you'd be looking for a guy who could do a couple different things. So one would be better with the ball in their hands, probably, but also can make open shots because if they can't make open shots, then Mitchell loses some of his viability because they can help and they can do lots of other things. So is that is that is that kind of the idea? Somebody who can who can succeed in both but probably is better on than off ball? I'm going to go that I think the power forward position is the most important position for what happens with Donovan. With the idea being because that's going to determine if the floor is spread? Yeah. I think he's playing with Rubio, and there are some things that Rubio really does for him that are helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, he sees the floor well. He can defend bigger guys. He rebounds great. He re- I've the only player I've ever seen who goes and gets 50-50 balls at the same rate is Jason Kidd. Like Jason Kidd went and got 50-50 balls better than any player I ever saw in my life. Right? They weren't 50-50. They're 80-20. Rubio's the same way. A lot of those kind of things I think are very helpful. But let's see. I might be wrong. The numbers didn't show it dramatically this year, by the way, just to let you know. like I think he shot 44-29 and 29 when he was on the floor with both Favors and Gobert. I think he shot 44-29 and 29 when he was on the floor with Gobert, and I think he might have shot a little bit better when he was on the floor with just Derek. But that's then, you know, then you're into who the opponent is at that point, because they're, if he's on the floor with just Derek, it's probably not a starting group. Yeah, I, I can see that. But then that ties in with another question, which is, would, so... Facing the floor, I agree with you that it's important. It opens up these it opens up these avenues for Mitchell and and for the Jazz more broadly. And there are ways of doing that without sacrificing defensive integrity. Also, when you have Rudy Gobert, it makes it a lot easier to do all of that. But does that make it something that is important to pay for, or is it okay to do kind of like what the Jazz like make more of a patchwork quilt? I mean, Joe Johnson played some four for the Jazz this year. Jarebko is under contract for four million next year because there are you know Jabari, Aaron Gordon. I don't know if the ja- if the Magic would let him go, but there are those type of guys on the market. But they are going to be expensive. And if you Aaron Gordon, but Aaron Gordon's not a stretch. I think he could be if he if all he did was take the catch and shoot ones that are like if all if you took out all of the bad threes he took in Orlando, I think he would be okay. Not great, but he'd be okay. It's just that Orlando let him take all of these bad like so. There's this weird thing with Aaron Gordon's shot chart because I, I got into this with a, in a 15 and 60 once where I was wondering why Aaron Gordon was such an inefficient transition player because I mean the guy great athlete, great dunker, good hands, good sense of the floor, and I'm like, why isn't he scoring in transition? And what the answer ended up being, or at least as, as I could tell it, was because he took threes way too often in transition and like though like so. 
I think, and I think that's a good representation of like, just take the good stuff. And I think, you know, I don't think he's going to be, you know, like a Ryan Anderson or anything or anything ludicrous like that. But I think he could do enough that you get some of those benefits, even if you don't get all of them. But I think he's way better defensively. I think he had one of the largest discrepancies between catch and shoot and off the bounce, if I remember correctly. Donovan does too. That's why I know this. But I think he was about 39-22. So 39% on catch and shoot and 21 or 22 on pull-ups. That seems possible. I don't know it for sure. You know better. But that sounds about right. Uh, Only reason I know is Donovan was – Donovan's in that group of guys that have the biggest difference between catch and shooting off the bounce this year, which is what makes me just think that his future is just beyond reason. Right? I mean, I, the the off the bounce three is traditionally the shot that rookies can't make. Right? You 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 don't practice it in the off season. You never take it in the you never take it in the in college at that distance. It's not a shot you're used to taking. It's happening faster. It's happening with a bump, usually off a pick. Like it's just you have to get used to it. And Donovan shot, I think, thirty eight percent from on catch and shoots and twenty nine percent on off the bounce. And then post All Star break when he actually was scoring, I'd have to check that. But post All Star break, I do know this. Post All Star break when he was still scoring twenty three twenty four a game, he was at thirty seven twenty seven. His season, by the way, was forty one percent catch and shoot, twenty nine percent on pull ups. So, like, he's taking four pull-ups a game and making one. What happens when he's taking five and making two, Or right? Then he's... That's an extra couple un- points, but also think about how that affects the opposing... How that affects the opposing defense. You know, like, if yeah. you start... that, And that gets into what I was talking about with Damian Lord before. So, yeah, I'm very interested to see where that goes. And, and with Utah, they, you know, in terms of cap space, they really, I think they have... They can spend big money for a long time once. Like I think that's really kind of the way I see it because they could have like fifty million next year, but even that's probably not two bites at the apple with where the league is going. But the the big benefit that Lindsay has that a lot of other teams don't is that they they don't have to rush this. If the right player isn't available this year, they can they can do it in twenty nineteen. If the right player is not available in twenty nineteen, well twenty twenty gets a little bit dicey, but they probably could. And I believe that they that they can be patient because they saw how it worked out this year. I agree and I disagree. So I think all of that makes sense on paper, and then I think you got to look Rudy Gobert in the eye when it comes to training camp, and I think then it's hard. Yeah, but so, I mean, but if they try and the guys just say no, no player wants to him. listen, right? But no player wants to listen to what you just said. That's true. Like, like, but, but he's like he, that's Gobert's the re- under that's contract the real, for a couple of years, and you could say, hey, we tried. Still, and but also like, hey, we were the we're the fifth best team in terms of point differential this year, and they're only building on top of that. I don't think they're going to be losing, you know, depending on what happens with Derek Favors. I don't think they're going to be losing a ton this year. I mean, if they lose Derek Favors and just like don't sign anybody, that would be a little bit of a problem. But I would be beyond shocked if that happened. I guess I was just trying to point out that a lot of the things that we talk about on paper may be accurate and are very hard for locker rooms. I agree with that. And I mean, we're seeing that to a point with the Toronto Raptors. I mean, and this is more to the point of their fan base, but it's, you know, success, defining success and defining, you know, progress is a very complicated and often personal thing. Right. Do they fire Dwayne Casey if the, like, let's say, here's an interesting one for you on the Dwayne Casey firing today. So let's say that Cleveland doesn't tank the season and is the three seed and they sweep him in the Eastern Conference Finals. Does that change whether Casey gets fired or not? I think it does. I think See, that's keep rid- him. if that's the case, that's ridiculous. I agree with you. It's like the one, the one, the one I experienced in person. That I thought was really fascinating was Quinn Snyder's second year. If I remember correctly, I wonder if my memory on this is wrong. We missed the playoffs by I think a game, if I, if I remember correctly, and like our fan base was like fired up. And I was, I, I got it. Like this is kind of an esoteric point of view, but they were really fired up because everybody else won one too many games, right? They weren't. 
like if I if I'd asked them at the beginning of the year, let me see if I can find this. Yeah, so we won. We went forty and forty-two, which was a lot more than anyone expected. And the Rockets won forty-one games and made the playoffs by a game. And so it was interesting to me that like had we won forty and the Rockets had like twisted another ankle and won thirty-nine, our fan base would have been ecstatic. Exact same season by us. Different season by the team, one win better than us, or the Grizzlies, or the Mavericks, which were two better than us. And like, let's say they got a ball bounce differently twice, and we made the playoffs. The exact same results. Everybody would have viewed it the season differently. To Dennis Lindsay's credit, he didn't get caught up in that, and he just kept building. Another one like that is there were the rumors that Terry Stotts was going to get fired. If San Antonio beats New Orleans on the last day of the season, Portland beats San Antonio and then goes, they go pretty cleanly into the the next round. And I don't think anybody even considers firing Dwayne, fire, firing Terry Stotts. No, the mat, the three through three through nine, I guess probably in the Western conference was all about matchups this year. Like if we had played Portland, I don't know that we get out of the first round. Portland's defensive scheme causes us all sorts of problems. And Oklahoma City's defense caused OKC a lot of problems. Right. Oklahoma City's defense doesn't cause us any problems. Oklahoma City has flaws, and our coach was brilliant, so then the Jazz exploited them. Actually, it'll be fun to ask you this question. I didn't think I didn't think about it beforehand, but what was your thought process going through it as Donovan basically kept on, you know, until the very end of the last game, trying to see if it would work with Melo when you knew what was I mean, your happen. biggest, your fear of that series was that they'd stop playing Melo. Yeah. I mean, I guess that sums it up from a Jazz standpoint, right? The fear was that they were going to stop playing Melo, that Melo was going to play 12 minutes a night, and then all of a sudden this was a different series. So I guess that completely sums up. I thought Billy Donovan had a fine series, though, frankly. I thought he made a lot of adjustments. I thought he made Quinn react another time. I thought he did a lot of things really quite well in that that series. And honestly, I think, again, being somewhat embedded in a team, I have a better understanding of what the Carmelo thing – you can't make Carmelo look bad. You just can't. You know, Joe Johnson wasn't great with us this year. Yeah, you just owe Joe Johnson the right to play, right? You know, Houston's at a different point with Joe Johnson because he didn't come there. It might be a small market, big market thing too. I think Billy and the Thunder were in a lot harder position with Carmelo than a lot of people realize. I would defend Billy for how he handled that. I think it did cost them, you know, may have cost them the series. But I think that's a once you've signed him, I think you're in bed with him. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think it was necessary necessarily Donovan's mistake to make in that way, just because, you, as you said, when you bring in Mello, there are these these certain expectations, and also while Carmelo Anthony did not have the equity with the Thunder because he had only been there for part of one year, you know, the whole regular season and, and that series, the players who are important and who are factors seem to have a real connection with him, Russ and Paul George. And so again, going back to like the equivalent of talking to Rudy Gobert after if the Jazz had a summer where they didn't really get anybody. Sitting Mello, let's say let's say it ended up being that they sat Mello and lost anyway. You know, even if Mello playing made it less likely for the Thunder to win the series, let's say they still lose. Then you have to go to these players and go, well, you know, like, well, why didn't you do this? And, and there isn't really a good answer there. And so I, I'm sympathetic to Donovan to a point for sure. And I don't necessarily see that as, as his mistake. It's just it's a really tough circumstance. I thought game six when he went and played him at center was pretty creative. Yeah. Right. Like, OK, I'm playing with the four. It's not working. I can't play him there anymore. Can't play That's him at the not, three. I can't play him at the three, but I got to play him. So let's try this. I thought it was I thought it was very creative. I give Billy Donovan credit for that. I thought that was very creative. 
that team, if Paul George leaves next year, is going to be so strange. Just like the dynamics of it. I think there's also a chance that Melo at that point agrees to a buyout and just goes somewhere else. You know, and, and basically not I wouldn't I don't think he'd leave much money on the table because that's not the story of his career. But just to just to get into a different opportunity because to get because they do that. But I don't know. I, I don't and that whoa, would whoa, 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 whoa. he can't play. But maybe somebody else thinks he can play. Or he can uh, live or he can live somewhere that that he's you know, happy with, or, you know, maybe, maybe there's something, something else out there playing with this, playing with somebody he's never played with before or for a specific coach. I don't know what he wants, but the problem is I don't think that there's much of an incentive for him to leave a ton of money on the table because who's going to pay him because he can't play. Joe Johnson's awesome. Joe Johnson won a playoff series for the Jazz a year ago. Joe Johnson's like the ultimate pro. Like at some point in time, I'll never forget this moment. Like I'm calling Joe Johnson's game this year and Joe Johnson comes up the floor and I'm like, only 24 players in the history of the NBA have ever played more minutes. Joe Johnson on the left wing. Whoa, 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 wait. 24 players in the history of the game. Like, at some point, it's over. And only 23 other guys ever played more. Like, that's where Carmelo is, right? Not trying to be, like, critical and a jerk or anything like that. But, like, that's incredible. That's, like, superhuman. That's insane. Joe Johnson's played 44,000 regular season minutes. Carmelo has played 38,000. This is when it kind of ends. It very well could be. But as we've all seen in various different facets of it, media members feeling like it's over and a player feeling like it's over can be two very different things. And this can often be the most painful stretch, not only just in terms of physical pain, but just in terms of watching a player not realize that it's over can be really tough. Hey, I can't blame him. I'd play for I play every last second I could, man. I, they, I, I, hey, on my, I'm not a player. I'm not nearly the, the player. But I will suck so bad at the end of my career. Like, they will have to drag me out of the booth. I ain't quitting. No way. It's the best thing ever. I will be that guy where they got to go, hey, you know what? You're just not good anymore. Sorry. I know you've done this for 30 years, but you're not good anymore. Like, I got it. Why would you possibly quit? It's the best. I have no counter argument because that's that's the way this works. <laughs> And it's also, I mean, what's hard in, in kind of both of these fields is that th- it's not like there's a clear-cut transition necessarily. There could be, depending on, on what op- what options present themselves to. But I can't imagine, even if he, there's something else that he enjoys, that he'll enjoy it as much as playing basketball. Because playing basketball, hey, we we enjoy talking about it a lot. Playing it is, is even more awesome. No, it's way better. Yeah. Though we don't have the same risk of injury unless you're on the sideline and get jumped into by a player. No, I'm not on the sideline, so it doesn't yeah. matter. You don't have that risk. Right. Anything else that you feel like you have an, you have an open floor right now? You can talk about the Jazz or anything else. Is there anything else you feel like you, you want to ask me or that you want to discuss? I'm good. All good. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure. See you, buddy. Thanks again to David Locke for taking the time to come on. I really do love talking with him, even though I feel woefully underprepared every single time, though that's something I'm used to recording with Nate so often. And you can listen to Dave on Locked on Jazz, Locked on NBA. He also created the Locked on Podcast Network. And you can follow him on Twitter at Locked on Sports, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-S-P-O-R-T-S. And worth doing, I mean, he's such a savvy guy. And I mean, you could you could, you could tell that in the conversation if for whatever reason you're unfamiliar with David. And... As I said, there's a lot going on in the league right now, which is really, really exciting. And this is a rare circumstance because I actually recorded the next Real Jam Radio already, but David's was more time sensitive, so I'm putting that one out first. And on Thursday, I recorded with Sirit Sohi on 
a lot of different topics. I mean, the Raptors, what went on with them, LeBron, and that's going to be early next week because other than we talked about before Dwayne Casey got fired, but we kind of talked about it with the expectation that he would, that one allays you a little bit better. So I wanted to put that one out after the fact. And that will be Real Gem Radio next week. You can look forward to it. I usually get a lot of really good feedback with Sirit's episodes, so you can look forward to that coming up. And yeah, we'll go in a lot of different directions as we move forward. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the best way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I take the time to read it. I don't promise I'll respond. I'm super busy right now. I'm busy all the time, but I'm super busy right now. And your feedback is important to me though. That's why I, I promise to read everything and I actually do. If you want to support the show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also subscribe, download every episode that's particularly great with Real Gem Radio because it doesn't come out on a specific day due to guest availability and my own editing schedule. So if you subscribe, then it just pops in whenever is good for you. And for many of you, hopefully this will come out as you're commuting home on Friday. You can listen to it over the weekend. That's the idea with Real Gem is that it's very rarely super time sensitive for that exact reason. Of course, the most important thing you can do to support the show is to check out our sponsors. You can check out Hymns. Go to forhims.com slash real r-e-a-l for a trial month for five dollars which is an amazing value and being proactive with hair maintenance i guess is probably the best way to put it is is exceedingly important bet dsi so much going on in sports right now bet dsi com, and then real gm is the promo code on that one and you can get up to two thousand five hundred dollars which is incredible on your first deposit and true car great place to buy new and used cars so a lot going on right now and you can of course check out other podcast one podcast a lot of great stuff going on there right now you can also spread the word however you see fit you know as as we said ratings reviews is good especially if it's itunes but telling your friends telling people on social media wherever you see fit that that can be a really important part and it can be just this episode maybe you like that maybe you're a jazz fan or rockets or warriors and said hey this is good or if it's hey real jam radio danny does really good work i appreciate all of that and i don't always thank people when they do it on twitter but you know that you have my appreciation so excited to see where this goes you can also keep track of my work doing a ton of off-season previews for the athletic i'm going to have all 30 done by the end of the finals is a pretty good proxy for when they will all be done Mo- uh i think i'm about halfway through actually writing them and also have writing at real gm wrote a piece about how i look at primary ball handlers i tried to make it accessible there were a lot of other nuancey ways that i could have gotten into it but i want to kind of keep it basic and i'm going to do one of those on defense and i'm probably going to do one on how i watch film it's kind of kind of a weird thing to write but i'm thinking about how i want to implement that so those will be coming out soon then of course cba encyclopedia dunked on with nate duncan and the twitter nba show which is our live alternate announcing that will be back for the conference finals starting on monday game one of warriors rockets really looking forward to that so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day want to go yes go travel go explore go find a new city go reconnect with friends go have fun that's why we created on go the trusted rapid covid19 self-test 
OnGo gives you accurate COVID test results and peace of mind in just minutes. So anywhere you go, you know. You'll know if you're COVID-19 free and you'll know you're protecting loved ones. OnGo is readily available at letsongo.com, Amazon, Walgreens, or Walmart.com. Use promo code ONGO15 for 15% off at letsongo.com today. Global supply chain issues have made it more difficult than ever to source the parts you need to keep your heavy-duty truck running. That can lead to downtime and lost money. Fortunately, you have a trusted partner that can help keep your rig on the road and running. FindItParts.com is the nation's largest supplier of heavy-duty truck and trailer parts. In just a few clicks, you can access more than $3 billion worth of inventory, millions of part numbers, and all the top brands. Need a part fast? We offer overnight and expedited shipping. Save the time and frustration of calling around trying to find parts. FindItParts.com is your one-stop shopping source for all your heavy-duty truck needs, delivered straight to your doorstep. Use promo code PODCAST for 10% off your next purchase. That's FindItParts.com, promo code PODCAST. Your trusted supplier for all heavy-duty truck and trailer parts.